going to, uh, to take a real shift here. We're going to go from um, fun, lighthearted, um, to a message uh, called Happy Father's Day, Prepare to Die. Okay? <laughs> so why don't we uh, first bow our hearts and we'll hit the word. Lord, thank you um, for all the energy and effort and work that went into this week. And um, Lord, ultimately our, pr- our prayer is that um, the word would have uh, penetrated the hearts of, of these little ones, those who can read and those who can't read, and um, that they would be equipped with the armor of God. And uh, Lord, I pray now as we uh, enter into this message that you would prepare our hearts um, to take with utter seriousness what your word has to say. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give everybody in the room uh, listening ears and believing hearts, and I pray that you would change us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, those of you who have been with us for a while, we have been slowly making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And we just finished up last week, Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus just eviscerates the Pharisees. And then, uh, bef- we're done with chapter 23, and we're going to step into what? Chapter 20. Very good. Now, um, if you know anything about Matthew 24, it is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is talking about his second coming and being prepared for his return. So, um, before we actually turn to Matthew 24, today I thought it would be appropriate, and next week, to do some heart preparation before we talk about end times. And um, that's what we want to do. We want to prepare our, our heads and our hearts to talk about the second coming of Christ. Now, let me begin with a little survey uh, ChristianNet.com surveyed 1,700 Christians. They asked them, do you believe we are in the end times? Um, what percentage of Christians would you guess think that we are in the end times? 85. You got it. Wow. You get a free cup of coffee after... Yeah. <laughs> believe that we're living in the end times. Now you say, well, that means 15% do not believe. Well, 10% were unsure. I'm kind of in that category, you know. Um, But really, it's only 5% who didn't feel that we were in the end times, right? Now, I personally, I don't believe that surveying Christians is a great way to determine truth, okay? But it does raise an interesting question. If 95% of professing Christians really believe that we are either in the end times or very close to the end times, here's the question. Are we living like we're in the end times? Are we really living like Jesus is going to return? Let me give you kind of a key verse that 
is my foundational uh, building block for viewing the end times. Now, um, Book of Revelation, great book. It's apocalyptic literature, which um, is highly symbolic. So my interpretive rule is this. You go to the epistles or Paul's letters, his straightforward teaching to build your foundation first. And in 2 Thessalonians, here's a sure, solid rock that you can build your end times uh, view on. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, and that's the Greek word apostasia, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. How do you know we're getting close to the end times? There's going to be an apostasy. What's an apostasy? A falling away from the faith. Millions of, of professing Christians in the end times are going to fall away from the faith. Now, the question is, why? Well, I think when you look at the book of Revelation, you look at the Olivet Discourse, you see that there's going to be persecution and there's going to be deception. Satan uses persecution and deception. Put it all together, tons of people who claim to be followers of Christ are going to fall away in the end. Now, why would they fall away? Well, may I suggest that the church is filled with false disciples and poorly trained disciples. Okay? False disciples and poorly trained disciples. And when push comes to shove and the persecution comes and the deception comes, they say, I'm not not staying around claiming to be a Christian if my life is on the line. So, what do we need to do to be prepared for the end? And may I suggest this verse, Revelation 12:11. And they, the martyrs, have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb. What is what does that mean? by trusting in Jesus and his blood covers us. And no matter what Satan accuses us of, we can say, I am covered with Jesus' blood and God accepts me as perfect. So you can do your best to accuse me, Satan, but um, I am taking my stand covered with Jesus' blood and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony, that doesn't mean going out and sharing your story of how you became a Christian. The word of your testimony is the gospel. I'm standing firm on Christ, covered in his blood, believing the gospel. For they loved not their lives even unto death. And you need to be willing to die. How do you conquer Satan? You take your stand on the gospel. You stand firm on the gospel. You don't deny the gospel even unto death. 
Are you the type of Christian who's willing to die for Jesus? If you say no, I don't know that you're prepared. Okay? I don't know that you're an all-out disciple. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. This is, this is some tough stuff we're talking about here. But I really believe when you put all this together, what it's saying is massive defection is going to happen in the end times unless you're prepared now. Okay? Another verse, Revelation 13.10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. You may have to die. You may have to go to prison. Endure. Persevere. For the glory of God. Now, you say, wait a minute. What if we're not in the end times? This is a wasted series. Right? No. Embracing the call to be willing to die for Christ is a lifestyle. Whether we are in the end times or Jesus isn't going to return for another thousand years, all Christians are called to live in light of his return and we're to live being willing to die. Until we do, until we're willing to die, we're just playing at Christianity. We're in the T-ball league. Not the major leagues. We're we're not living life to the full. It's It's a strange paradox. You live life to the full when you say, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. Right? Now you go, wait a minute. Did anybody tell Pastor that it's Father's Day? Um shouldn't it be light? Somewhere it's written that Mother's Day and Father's Day, it's supposed to be a fluffball sermon, right? No. We, <laughs> we don't play that by those rules here. Um, but let's make it a Father's Day sermon. Here in uh, 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen, Paul says, Act like men. All right, there you go. Now it's a Father's Day sermon. <laughs> so here's what I want to do. Today I want to give you six keys. Six keys to dying for Christ. Part one. (laughs) We get more next week. Okay. Um, Now, these keys are all mental keys. You know, we're very action-oriented. Just give us principles, practical principles, and go out and try them. You know what? To do this, by by the way, (laughs) the the dying for Christ, you only do that once. You know, you just... uh, you die, okay? But um, preparing to die for Christ involves changing your thinking. So all six of these begin with the word realize. These are changes of, of, of thinking. All right, so the first thing, realize willingness to suffer and die for Christ is central to being a disciple. In other words, Jesus did not hide this. When he called people to follow him and be a disciple, he said this, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
and they heard one thing. They pictured one thing uh, when Jesus said, take up your cross. They had seen the Roman roads lined with crucifixes and people nailed to crosses. And they heard Jesus say, if I follow him, I may have to die. Now you say, wasn't he speaking metaphorically here? Well, yes, he was. There's a literal, physical dying, but then there's a kind of dying that you do where you are no longer the God of your own life and you put him on the throne. And we'll talk about that. But I don't think it's an either-or thing. I think him calling you to take up your cross is both a surrender of your heart and a willingness to literally die for him. Now look what he says here. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You really don't live. You really don't find life until you're willing to lose it, to give it all away to him. When we hold back, we think we're living, but we're deceiving ourselves. Now, um, some of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in uh, Germany when a fellow named Adolf Hitler rose to power. And uh, Bonhoeffer started to read what was going on, and he said, this is not right. And he resisted, and uh, he was actually, he was a pastor and a spy. And he ended up in prison, and then he ended up being hung for following uh, for, for following Christ, but not following Hitler. Um, Bonhoeffer taught this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, let me just show you some verses that you may have missed in being raised in America, being raised in American evangelicalism. Um, there are... It, it is not hidden that Jesus calls us to be willing to die and suffer for him. Um, We see this verse, Matthew 10, here in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, um, interesting that in this verse, the word all. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted, then you're probably not living a godly life. Now, don't go out looking for trouble. It'll come and find you. But if you are just living a Christian life and your highest value is comfort, I don't want to make too many waves. I just want to fit in. I guarantee you, you're compromising your godliness. Because godly people dropped in the middle of an ungodly world are going to meet with persecution. That's the equation. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 3.3 3, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And he had just been talking about tribulations. Are we going to go through the tribulation? Are you pre-mid or post-tribulation? What about the tribulation? Regardless of the big tribulation, you are going to go through tribulations as a Christian. 
1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So many Christians go, I can't believe it. I'm a follower of Jesus. Why would he allow this to happen to me? As if suffering and persecution and testing is something strange. Peter says, no, this is part of the job description. Acts 9.16, about Paul, God says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then Paul goes out and he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then in Philippians, here's, a, here's a, uh, a promise that you can claim. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Claim that promise, huh? We like to believe on him part, but not to suffer uh, for his name's sake. Now, you're sitting here and you go, How come I was raised in a church all my life and I rarely, if ever, heard these verses preached on. In fact, the assumption was invite Jesus into your life and he'll make your life go better, smoother, more comfortable. Well, truth of the matter is, the church in America has embraced a consumer model of doing church. We're Walmart. Okay? Let's get them in by highlighting the benefits and downplaying the hard parts. It's called bait and switch. We bait you into the showroom with advertising a TV at this cost, but uh, we say, oh, I'm sorry, we're sold out. But can I interest you in this? Come to Christ. He'll take away all your problems and give you a happy, healthy family and everything will be better. Oh, by the way, you might have to die for him. Right? We bait them in with the benefits. And there are some really great benefits. Like this, you don't go to hell. How's that for a benefit? Right? But to come to Christ, he says, trade it in. Trade what in? Your life. Trade in your life. You know, this explains... Okay, I'll, give you, I'll give you my philosophy of discipleship. This explains why some people never grow in their faith. Their foundation, their mental foundation, is I came to Jesus... For him to make my life better. Okay? None of this I come and die stuff. So I came for him to make my life better. And that's the foundation. So now, you take somebody with that as their foundation and you say, let's grow them up as a disciple. So let's teach them how to do inductive Bible study. Let's teach them how to do the spiritual disciplines, how to have a daily quiet time, how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to serve, how to be in a small group. And you, you say, let's teach these people how to do all this stuff so they'll grow. But they don't grow. Why? Because all these things won't make a dent of difference 
if you think the ultimate goal of discipleship is that Jesus is here to make my suburban lifestyle better. That thinking must be changed. The foundation must be ripped out and replaced with the servant attitude. You want to see huge amounts of change in your, in your following of Christ? Memorize Revelation 12, 11, And don't count your life as worthy of holding on to. Throw it away. And once that changes, everything else will change. But if you hold on to the foundation of, I came to Jesus and he is here, yeah, he's going to save me from hell, and he's going to make my life better, and everything's going to be wonderful, it's a milder version of the health wealth gospel. So, point one, step one, realize that being willing to die is part of the, the basic call to discipleship. Point two, realize we, American Christians, are the exception, not the rule. What do you mean the exception? Well, um, take a look at the history of the world. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. One is righteous, one is unrighteous. The righteous one is murdered by the unrighteous one. So, four people on the planet And we've got murder already. The righteous person gets persecuted by the unrighteous person. The history of the Old Testament. Righteous are persecuted by the unrighteous. The prophets are killed. We go to the time of Jesus. Before Jesus comes, God sends a prophet by the name of John the Baptist. Everybody is talking about John the Baptist. And uh, shouldn't God have protected his life and made him a hero? How does his life end? In prison, and his head is chopped off. Then Jesus comes. Sure, crowds follow him, but they end up crucifying him. All the apostles are martyred. Peter crucified, Andrew crucified, Matthew dies by the sword. John, they say, dies a natural death, but he is exiled to the uh, island of Patmos. James is crucified, Philips is crucified, Simon crucified, uh, Thaddeus shot through with arrows, Thomas speared, Bartholomew crucified, James by the sword, another James stoned, Paul beheaded. I'm beginning to think this thing where Jesus calls us to die is not just metaphorical. It's real. The early Christians in the early church were thrown to the lions. They were made gladiators and they had to fight to the death. In the Middle Ages, true believers were burned at the stake. During the time of the Reformation, believers were hunted down. You go, well, that, I'm, I'm glad that's over. Wait a minute. Do you know that in this last century, the 20th century, there have been more martyrs in one century, Christian martyrs, than in all the other centuries combined? In Muslim countries, in China, in North Korea today, one to 200,000 Christians are martyred a year. Okay. Here's another way to look at it. Every five minutes a Christian dies from martyrdom. 
So, we are the exception. We don't get to say, well, God, you owe us a comfortable, easy life. We are the exception, not the rule. Three, realize now is the time to prepare. Okay, now is the time to prepare. You know who uh, Richard Wormbrand was? He um, founded Voice of the Martyrs. But he was a pastor in Romania when it became communist. And he was imprisoned and tortured for 17 years. And he um, wrote a little book. You can get it for free if you look at the Voice of the Martyrs website. It's called Tortured for Christ. He just recently died. And um, he writes in this book about the days before the communists took over. And uh, he says, I remember my last confirmation class before I left Romania. He was teaching a confirmation class. Okay? I took a group of 10 to 15 boys and girls on a Sunday morning, not to church, but to the zoo. Before the cage of lions, I told them, your forefathers in faith were thrown before such wild beasts for their faith. Know that you also will have to suffer. You will not be thrown before lions, but you will have to do with men who will be much worse than lions. Decide here and now if you wish, wish to pledge allegiance to Christ. They had tears in their eyes, but they said yes. We have to make the preparation now, before we are imprisoned. In prison you lose everything. You are undressed and given a prisoner's suit. No more nice furniture, nice carpet, or nice curtains. You do not have a wife anymore. You do not have your children. You do not have your library. You never see a flower. Nothing of what makes life pleasant remains. Then he says this, Nobody resists who has not renounced the pleasures of life beforehand. Now is the time. You go, what do I need to do to prepare? Let's go to Revelation. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The gospel. Know the gospel. Learn the gospel. Love the gospel. You know, today, so many Christians, they don't even know the gospel. Church is all about tips for a better life. Not, you're a sinner. Condemned to hell. But Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And your only hope of eternal salvation is the blood of Christ. The good news is when you turn to him, you're covered by the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. And when you believe in that and you take your stand on that, and let me say this, when you love that. See, some of you may be saying, well, I believe that. Do you love it? Do you live for it? If not, you're not prepared. If you do, though, you can love not your life even unto death. Number four. Realize we prepare 
to eventually die by dying daily. Now here is where um, I do believe that there is a metaphorical element to the verse. You know, in Matthew, it just said, take up your cross. In Luke, it says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And you go, wait a minute, how do you, you can't die every day. Well, yes, you can. By daily surrendering and submitting your life to Christ and being his servant. Now, how do you practically serve him? By serving others. Now, who is going to make it when that ultimate time comes and you may be called to give your life? Answer, just look at your life now. Is your life now characterized by selflessness or selfishness? If your life is characterized now by selfishness, you're not going to make it. If it is characterized by selflessness, daily dying, daily serving, you'll do just fine. Does your spouse see you as a servant? Do your kids see you as a servant? Does your church see you as a servant? Do your neighbors see you as a servant? Are you selfish or selfless? Number five. Now, let me, let me pause at this point. I'm not really into this dying thing. I'm pretty, uh, I'm a big wimp. Pain is not my friend. Okay? So let's get, let's, we'll start to get practical and we'll pick it up next week. How are we going to make it through? Not... Okay, not by pretending to be a tough guy, right? Not by saying, oh, yeah, I'll die for Jesus. Do you remember a guy named Peter? Peter said, oh, yeah, all all the rest will deny you, but I'll die for you. And then a few minutes later, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. So what we don't want to do is put forth a bunch of false bravado. Admit, this is hard. This is scary. Okay? But here's how you get through. You place your confidence not in yourself, but in his promise. What's his promise? Take a look at this. Matthew 10. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now look at this. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, 
but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It's a promise that He will give you the grace you need when this time comes. He'll give you the words you need. He'll give you the strength you need. He'll give you the grace that you need. In fact, He tells you, don't sit around worrying. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to do this. Oh, oh, oh. He says, stop doing that. Oh, should I trust in myself? No. We're all wimps. What should I trust in? Trust in the promise that he will give you the grace you need under fire. Okay? Now, one last prep. Six. Realize the first first death is not the real death. You say, what do you mean by that? Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, this is the one who overcomes this world, the one who keeps following Christ, will not be hurt by the second death. You know, there's two deaths? Yes, there are two deaths. The first death is physical The second death is hell. Revelation 20, 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. You see, death itself, everybody dies. Everybody's going to die. That's not the death you need to worry about. It's the death after death you need to worry about. In fact, one person put it this way. If you're only born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're born again, you don't have to worry about the second death. And the first death is just kind of like life, you know? You've got you to gotta go to kindergarten. That, get up and go to kindergarten. Uh, you go to ki- then you've got to go to high school. You've got to go to college. And then you've got to go to work. And then you've got to go to the doctor. And then you've got to die. You know, everybody dies. It's not the first death to fear. It's the second death. Let me close with this, this story. When I was up in Wisconsin... This is before we had kids. This is like 100 pounds ago, right? And um, there was a group of, of youngsters in the church who were really into paintball. Remember paintball where they had these little pellets and they'd put them in the guns? And Actually, there was a, a guy who lived on a farm, and every Saturday they would come out and they would put on war paint and they would pick up, you know, they would have teams and capture the flag and uh, they had scopes and stuff. And they kept asking me, Pastor, why don't you come out on Saturday and play paintball? So one Saturday, I show up wearing a big yellow shirt. I didn't know you should wear camouflage. I mean, they, they've got the, the camouflage vests and the pants and the boots. and everything. I'm just gym shoes and a big yellow shirt. Okay. And it was capture the flag. And they gave me a gun. And I had a mask and um, my big yellow shirt, and we were, we're on a team. 
And I remember hiding in the weeds, trembling. <laughs> I did not want to get killed with this paintball. I mean, it looked like a real machine gun. I'm like, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get hit. And this guy on my team comes up behind me and goes, hey, listen, there's the flag. I'll go run out in the open over there, and when they're shooting at me and they, they kill me, you go grab the flag. I go, this guy's crazy. He thinks this is a game. <laughs> then I realized, it is a game. It's not real death. Physical death isn't real death. Real death is the second death. And Christ came to die, not just the physical death, but the second death. He went through hell in your place. And all who trust in Him, you do not have to go through the second death. So here are six points. But if you have not trusted Christ, that's point one. Please, please, please surrender and trust in Christ. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up.